Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice what happens next will last forever the Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome to Comes PS Plus, the Northside Numbers Game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Cubs PS Plus is part of the Bleacher Bunch Productions on the Fans First Sports Network, joining great shows like the Sun Ranto Show, Cup of Cubby Blue, and Baseball Rabbit Hole. The Bleacher Bunch feed is available wherever you get your podcasts, and Cubs PS Plus is always available ad-free to Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash cubspsplus where you can support the show and find a variety of benefits for as little as a dollar a month in addition to the podcast feeds you can also find me on twitter or x instagram tiktok threads blue sky youtube all at cubspsplus a spin on the baseball metric ops plus love the pod or hate it please drop a review wherever it is you find your podcasts if you've done that thank you so much maybe you can share an episode with a friend welcome into episode 69 I'll pause here because I know you're thinking it. No Cub has ever worn number 69, so I'm going to go in a different direction this time. This is the Caitlin Clark episode of this podcast in honor of her breaking the all-time NCAA women's scoring record last week. She's currently sitting on 3,569 points heading into Iowa's game Thursday at Indiana. She's a lot of fun to watch, and if you haven't seen her play, go watch a half. If you like hoops, you're going to be hooked. This week, several top free agents continue to be unsigned. Camps are open, and spring training games start Friday. This week, I get into Tom Ricketts' comments about budgets, spending, and Scott Boris, talk about what Tom has truly done as an owner, and then take a look at this team and what holes remain. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here. We. Go. Well, here we are, two days away from the first spring training game on Friday, and Cody Bellinger's still not signed. Blake Snell's still not signed. Jordan Montgomery, J.D. Martinez, Matt Chapman's still not signed. And those are just the Boris clients. There are still a lot of free agents out there. Teams aren't making moves. There's a lot of chatter. So uh, this week I want to get into some of uh, Tom Ricketts' unfortunate comments the other day, how that plays, how that makes Jed and Tom look, and then what this team is. And I still 
I'll preface now. I'll get into it in the second segment, but I don't think the Cubs are done. I still don't think they're done. But every day that passes becomes more and more likely that the team that the Cubs have right now will be the team that starts the season. So let's back up a minute and talk about Tom Ricketts. So he was interviewed this week. I don't know the full context. I've not been able to find like video of of the entire interview. So I don't know exactly what was asked. So that's kind of where my hedge comes in. I may come off. I don't intend to come off as a Tom apologist or anything, but in an interview, he had pointed to the Diamondbacks as a team that, you know, obviously went to the world series last year, had a deep run without a big payroll. He had said, quote, that's the beauty of baseball. You don't have to have the highest payroll or the biggest stars. If you're playing well, anybody can beat anybody. I was happy for the Diamondbacks. And then he was asked what it would take to increase payroll, and he quipped more revenue. That's my ultimate frustration with Tom. Every time, every single time Tom talks about money, it just goes terribly. He's not wrong, in a sense. Let's back up to when Tom bought the team. So I grew up... I've said on this podcast many times, I started following the Cubs in 1982. I was eight years old. So I've seen a lot of bad Cubs baseball. Basically, my experience before Tom Ricketts was the Tribune ownership. I know the history. I know my Cubs history, so I know the previous owners and all that went into that. But my lived experience was the Tribune ownership. And the Trib, for years, the reputation was they would make sure they had a couple stars on the team get fans into seats and just coast didn't really care about winning. And I never know how true that is. I mean, I think if you're a team owner, there are a couple different ways to be an owner, but it is ultimately an investment. It is, there is a business side to baseball, but that's not what, you know, I I don't root for the Cubs. Like, Oh my God, that's awesome. They made so much profit last year. That's not why we're in it. We're in it to watch the games, watch the competition, see the team on the field, beat the Cardinals, win the division, go to the World Series. We all want that 2016 magic again. And I also don't think, there are probably a few owners out there, certainly the A's owners, idiot, terrible for baseball right now, but I think the Ricketts family bought the Cubs because they're Cubs fans and they have billions of dollars to spend. It's also an investment. The Ricketts family has done some good things. You know, they probably saved Wrigley Field. Wrigley Field was literally falling apart. There were, you know, nets and barriers set up so that the ceiling literally wouldn't fall on fans. They renovated the stadium. It's now a historic landmark. They did it. I'm not going to give them full benefit. They did attempt to get public money like every other owner does when it comes to stadiums, but ultimately they paid for it with their own cash raise. And they've also invested in the neighborhood. Now, Invested in the neighborhood can mean, in in a lot of ways, it makes the Cubs experience better. I love going now to a game and and having Gallagher Way out there. I love the big video boards outside. I like, I've stayed at Hotel Zachary across the street. It's very cool to wake up in the morning and look out the window and see Wrigley Field. I mean, it's one of the most amazing things. It's also a business. They're making money off it. So they've done all those things. And also, I've been following this team for a little over 40 years now. One owner has brought them a ring, and it wasn't the Tribune Company. So I'm not going to say that everything Tom does is good. And I also don't know the breakdown of who makes all the decisions within the ownership structure, but he's the public face. So when I say 
Tom, I'm referring to ownership group, but he's, he's the face and he's the one that always is out there in the public. So we'll go with that. One thing I do like about Tom with the one exception of post 2020, and I'll talk about that in a minute is his MO is the kind of ownership I've always wanted for my sports teams. I've never been able to stand like Dan Snyder, those, uh, uh, you know, those owners that meddle and I mean, I, I like Mark Cuban. He's done some good things in Dallas. Even he, like as much as I like him, he meddles too much. Be an owner, bring in, you know, bring in people who know baseball. And that's one thing Tom has always done with the 2020 exception, which I'll get to in a minute. But he has hired people he thought are good baseball people and brought them in to do the baseball work. He brought in Theo Epstein, let Theo Epstein run his vision. And sure, the owner has to sign off on, the owner signs the checks. So if you're going to go big contract, big investment, and a guy, you know, the Jason Hayward contract, the Dansby Swanson contract, the U Darvish contract, you're going you're gonna to get owner approval. And that's just how it works. We all have bosses. But that is how that works. And so as, as the Cubs have gone through that, I've liked that Tom kind of takes a step back. He's asked about who are they going to sign, and he points to Jed. It's Jed's job. And I think that's a very healthy way to run a team. Now, the one time he intervened, after 2020, so COVID happened, the, there were essentially no revenues in 2020 compared to what they typically do. There were no fans in the seats, no concessions, not a lot of activity in all the area restaurants, all that kind of thing. And they did have big debt obligations that were coming due. That's all reality. It's also reality that fans, frankly, don't give a crap, you know? I can recognize the business side of baseball. I can recognize what the Ricketts have done. I can recognize that they've taken on debt and those debts have to be paid. And you, when you plan those, you take, you know, if I, my family moved last year, we took a new mortgage, but we took a new mortgage based on what my expected or our expected incomes are and made a decision accordingly. And, and you know, the Ricketts did that like everybody else. And then the revenue side tanked for probably a year plus. Fans aren't going to have sympathy for that. I mean, it's it's fine. I mean, it is what it is. It it is a problem that exists in their business structure. But when he came out and said biblical losses, that phrase is going to hang on him forever. And so when he comes out and talks about well, we need more revenues. Sure, but there's a sports book at Wrigley. The they've own all the rooftops across from Wrigley Field now. Or pretty much all of them. They own a bunch of the restaurants. They've got Hotel Zachary. They've got Marquee. They've got all these revenue streams. And when you look at it, it makes fans frustrated to see that so far the Cubs have not done as much of this offseason as people thought they would. They certainly have not done as much as I thought they would. I still think they will do more things. But it gets frustrating. So when Tom says we're right there at the competitive balance tax levels... He's right. Well, they're not there right now, but I have a feeling they'll be there by the end of the, the end of the off season. He says that's a natural place for us. And again, like he's not wrong per se. Even the Dodgers, you know, the Dodgers notoriously spend, and they spend big, and they've spent big recently. Obviously, they spent really big this off season when they picked up Shohei Otani and uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto. But last year they reset. They were under the CBT. 
because there are things in place in baseball. Again, it's business side and fans, you know, fans want a fan. They want to root for the product on the field and get the best possible product on the field possible. I totally understand that. And I'm hundred percent with it, but there are some realities. You know, if you're over the CBT three straight years, you start to lose your draft pick spots. So now instead of like the Mets and Yankees both did last year. So instead of, you know, drafting 14th, the Yankees are drafting 24th or maybe it was the Mets. One of the two was 14th to 24th. I think the other one was 17th to 27th. That's real. That can be an entire tier of prospect. You know, you go from a guy who maybe like a Matt Shaw to somebody, maybe you're rolling the dice on a, you know, a pitcher coming off an injury or, you know, whatever. But the draft is kind of a crapshoot anyway. So it's not the end of the world. If, if you're in a competitive window and you're going to stay over the tax to go win more rings, awesome. You know, that's totally fine. If you've got good baseball development, you should be able to draft it 27, 37, 47 and still be able to produce good talent. But the reality is, you know, so that makes fans think and give Jed this reputation that he's cheap. And, you know, I think we can all agree he doesn't spend as much as maybe we'd like him to. But, you know, just going back through, I've, I've got spot track up and that's a great place to go look. If you um, want to look at payroll info, look at guys' contract details, things like that. So I'm going to go back to 2014 when the Cubs, uh, and I'm going to use straight out team payroll. Typically I'll look at the luxury tax threshold, but the luxury tax, the, the CBT as we know it, didn't come into play until like 2018, I think. So it's kind of apples and oranges to go back and compare 2014 through 2017 as team payroll and then flip. So I'm just going to stick with team payroll, but it, it gets you pretty close. If you break the numbers down, like, you can be off a slot or two, but for the most part, you know, the big spenders are pretty clear. So in 2014, Cubs were in clear rebuild. They were still, you know, losing 90 games a season, I think. That was the, that was the first year they started to show signs of life, really. But that season, they were 22nd in spending. You know, not great, but they were rebuilding. They were young. That's kind of what was expected. Now, 2015, you had some more kids. But 2015, they also picked up John Lester and made a couple other moves. They jumped to 11th, so they were 11th in baseball. So at that point... They were above average in baseball in terms of overall spending. And then you go to 2016, you had Ben Zobris, John Lackey, a number of other guys for that championship team. But it was still a very young core. You still had Chris Bryant was pre-arb. You know, Anthony Rizzo was already locked down to his contract extension. Baez, Russell, Amora, Schwarber, all those guys were pre-arb. So they were all basically largely effectively league minimum, which gave the Cubs the space to spend in other areas. And that year the Cubs were fifth in baseball. Some of that is because they picked up like a role as Chapman at the trade deadline. So they picked up his salary for the second half, things like that, but they were fifth in payroll and you go to 2017 and the Cubs were ninth at that point, you know, a couple of the guys had retired and moved on, but that's still, you know, top 10. Now, now we really get to this stretch where the Cubs did spend. We've talked about free agency on here and some of the decisions the Cubs made during that window when they weren't developing any pitching. I can certainly make arguments that they did not spend well. They did not spend wisely. But in terms of Tom will never spend on this roster, it's just not true. Like 2018, the Cubs were fourth in baseball behind Boston, San Francisco, and the Dodgers. And, and 2018, is this? that's the last year the Cubs really felt like a playoff team. And that was the year where they faded late. They had to, you know, whatever you, wherever you want to attribute the blame, the Cubs did have that weird 
makeup game East Coast trip where they wound up playing like 42 games in 40 days or 32 games in 30 days, something like that. That was, but that was a season also where they won 95 games. That was when the Brewers had to win like eight straight to force game 163 and then one game 163. And then the Cubs lost a one gamer to Colorado. That was the year that Theo famously said the offense was broken. So then going into 2019, the Cubs had the payroll, the number three payroll in baseball behind just Boston and the Yankees. And 2020 got a little wonky. I think had 2020 been a normal season, I think that would have still played out. Um, the off season into 2020 was still normal. Things didn't really happen until the middle of spring training. But 2020, again, they were third in baseball behind the Yankees and the Dodgers. And then 2021 started to fall off. They were still... Fairly high early, but then that's when they traded the core. So part of the reason that we've talked about this before, but part of the reason why the Cubs payroll was up there, some of it was free agents. They did have some big contracts. They'd signed Hugh Darvish at, before the 2018 season. They had a number of other guys, but they also had Javi Baez and Chris Bryant and Kyle Schwarber. Those guys were getting more and more expensive every year through arbitration. So that was piling up and that was kind of the flip of what we saw in 2015, 2016, because in 2015, 2016, all those core guys were so cost controlled. It gave the Cubs a lot of space to go out and get John Lester and Jason Hayward and Ben Zobrist and John Lackey. By that point, the players themselves were more expensive and they were, you know, they were taking up more of the payroll without actually adding more talent to the team. And then, so coming out of you know, 2021, ultimately after the trade-off, they wound up being 14th in baseball. I think all of us would agree that's not where the Cubs should be. 2022, the Cubs were 14th in baseball. Again, that was the year the core was gone. They started the year with Rafael Ortega and Frank Schwindel and brought in Jonathan VR and Andrelton Simmons, and it was just a complete disaster of an offseason. But to some extent, they wanted to see what they had in some of those guys that performed well at the end of 2021. And then last year, the Cubs started to move back up. You know, they were well, they were still 11th, top half of baseball, but still not really where they should be. And then 2024, as things currently stand, and this isn't where things are necessarily going to finish, the Cubs are currently ninth. I have complete expectation that the Cubs should... The Cubs have enough going for them. They have enough in their development system. They do a good enough job drafting and... and evaluating players they have a very good farm system right now they have the ability to make trades they have they are one of the three biggest budgets or three biggest revenue teams in baseball so they're like a top three market they have all these things going for them they should certainly never be in the bottom half of spending at this point i mean they, they are established enough that this should become very much self-sustaining. I'm not talking championships every year, but I'm talking about competitive teams where you're competing for at least some level of free agent as players come up. Hopefully you develop a star or two and you pay that star to stay and, and have a great career at Wrigley Field. I do not necessarily believe that that means because they're a top three market that the Cubs should have a top three payroll literally every season. I think every season is a little bit different with the blend of guys that you have. I think this year... You know, they've got Happ and Horner and Saya and Dansby, Jamison Tyone, Justin Steele all locked down for several more years. 
that's a framework. They also have, whether it is now or later, they have Pete Armstrong coming up. They've just traded for Michael Bush. They've got Matt Mervis, who still has potential. They've got Alexander Canario, who's coming. And I had said earlier, episode or two ago, that he no longer had options. He does have one more option. Some of the guys in 2020 that were on taxi squads and the like got an extra year of our extra option year. So he still has one left. So the Cubs are not in a necessarily a position where they have to play him or trade him. So apologies on that inaccuracy a couple episodes ago. But with those guys coming up, if any of those guys come in and stick and play well and become the player that people think they can be, then, you know, that's cheap talent for the Cubs to use. And I think one of the things we're seeing this offseason is baseball is trending younger. I, I saw a tweet yesterday. I cannot remember the source, so apologies on this. But the number of players under 30 is becoming a bigger and bigger part of every team's roster. And what that's doing, we're, we're seeing some of it this offseason. So no matter what kind of offseason it is, whether owners are playing it cheap, whether it's a good economy, bad economy, whether we're heading into a labor stoppage, whatever the other factors are that can impact free agency, elite guys are always going to get paid. Mookie Betts, Manny Machado, Bryce Harper, Shohei Otani, Mike Trout, next year Juan Soto, those guys are always going to get paid. They're always going to get huge contracts. Not every guy's going to get a record deal, but they're all going to get huge, massive contracts. And really effective players that are available on shorter term deals are also always going to get picked up. There's just a ton of value there. You get a guy who can give you a 125 WRC plus offensively, and you can get him for, you know, two years, $18 million. Heck yeah, you're into that all day long. It's that middle tier. It's that aging market. It's that guy who's 29, 30, 31, 32, can still play. And that in this category, I'm talking about kind of the, J.D. Martinez and Brandon Belt and those kind of guys. Like, teams are looking at that, and I, those guys will sign. The, they're not going to retire from baseball. But those guys are more expensive for a reason. They've produced throughout their career. But at the same time, you, teams, and I'm separating this from Tom and the Cubs at this point, but teams are going to look and say, like, okay, I've got a top 100 prospect that I think is ready. Do I want to play him for league minimum, or do I want to go get J.D. Martinez for, I don't know, if say 10 to $15 million a year. I'm not sure. I've not seen estimates on him, but I would guess somewhere in that ballpark. It kind of depends on where you are. If you're a contender and you need that one more bat, I would probably go JD Martinez and still find a way to play the kid. Like I don't want to bring somebody in and just block all the kids, but, and that's what, that's where the Cubs have been this whole off season, which takes us back to Scott Boris. But the Cubs are in this position where they have seven top 100 prospects in most of the ranking systems at this point. A lot of them are close to major league ready. You got Michael Bush, Pete Crow Armstrong, Canario is not even a top 100, but he's a guy who can really hit and he's pretty much ready to go. Matt Mervis, again, not top 100, but he's, he's close. Got a bunch of pitchers. So the decision is, do you bring in a bunch of guys? And that's one thing I think they fell down on last year. I think they had an opportunity to spend more time with Matt Mervis. But they didn't. They went and got Hosmer and Mancini. And incidentally, Eric Hosmer announced his retirement today. He's going to uh, start a media company and, and start his own podcast. I think it's Moonblast Media, and, and he'll have a podcast soon. But 
Good luck to Eric Hosmer. He seemed like a good dude, but it just did not work in Chicago last year. And so there's a fine line between filling all the positions with veterans on free agent contracts and letting kids play. And I think the the Cubs fan base, and I'm talking just on Twitter, so it's the people who are the loudest, which are not always the people that are the smartest, but I'm on Twitter, so you know I'm stupid too. Um, you know, there, there's a sense last year of, why aren't we playing the kids? Let's play the kids. Let's play the kids. And then in this offseason, there's a sense of, well, we can't go into the offseason counting on kids, which is true to a point. I don't want the Cubs to just go full on youth movement and it's rookies everywhere and let's see what happens. You know, this this isn't 2013, 2014. The Cubs should be competing for the postseason. But at the same time, you can't just assume that every top 100 kid is going to bust out. You know, so have a plan, have a backup plan, have some guys as hedge options. And I think that's still where Cody Bellinger makes a lot of sense. Like, we don't know for sure this year if PCA is going to hit. We don't know for sure if Michael Bush is going to hit. They both might. Neither might. One of them might. And Cody Bellinger is a guy that can come in and play a really good first base or he can play center field. So he's kind of that natural hedge. I still think he'll um, I still think he'll be in the mix. Uh, I still think he'll be a cub. But that gets back to another comment Tom said this week, and he was talking directly at Scott Boris. And Scott Boris is well-known, and this is not just coming from Tom. I heard an interview on the Tony Kornheiser show last week. I think it was last Friday they had Jeff Passan on, and Passan was talking about Scott Boris. And one of his negotiating strategies, and I don't really think Boris shies away from this, is to he'll work with the president of baseball operations or the GM and try to get negotiations going. But if he's not getting what he wants, he tries to go around and go to the owner and convince the owner that his guy is the piece they need and get the owner to buy in on the money or the years or whatever it is they're hung up on. And that's not how Tom operates. Like one of the things I said in the beginning of this podcast is I like that he hires baseball people and lets the baseball people do the baseball things. So Tom came out this week kind of, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but he indicated that Scott Boris is not engaged in negotiations, which is probably not entirely true. They're clearly a stalemate. I would not be, given what other teams have done. So before this offseason for Cody Bellinger, the Yankees were rumored to be really interested. The Blue Jays, the Giants, the Dodgers, a couple other teams. But those those were kind of the big ones with the Cubs to be interested in Cody Bellinger to start the offseason. And... They've all gone in different directions and made even some secondary moves that would kind of indicate that maybe they're not in the Cody Bellinger competition anymore. You know, the Yankees traded for Juan Soto. That's better than Cody Bellinger offensively. And they, you know, made a couple other trades. They picked up Alex Verdugo from Boston. Um, You know, Toronto's made a couple moves. San Francisco's made a couple moves. And I would not be at all surprised if the Cubs are currently sitting with the highest offer out to Scott Boris. Now, Boris will say there are no offers because he's talking formal offers and it's all gamesmanship, but there's no way we're at almost March and no teams have talked money with Scott Boris about Cody Bellinger. No chance. If I had my best guess, I would say the Cubs are probably in four to five years at 23 to $25 million per year, maybe a size 28. 
which I does kind of like those shorter high AAV deals. And my guess is that Scott and Cody are looking for more like seven, eight years, something north of $200 million. And I just kind of think that market's drying up. Uh, Cody Bellinger can still play baseball. I still think he's a good signing. I think he makes the Cubs better. And I, there are some things in the numbers to watch from last year, like the hard hit rates and barrel rates and some of those things were down. But at the same time, he did also make a very clear and demonstrative change to especially his two-strike approach. He was also more patient. So there were some, I've seen analysis done again. I, I don't have it in front of me. I forget who did it, but it might've been Brandon, Brendan Miller, but a look at pitch selection and what Cody, what Cody chose to swing at. And there were a lot of pitches early in counts that he took that passed earlier in his career. He might've hammered very hittable pitches in his wheelhouse, but he was very intentionally trying to make more contact, be more disciplined and all those things. And it paid off. He had a nice season. So I don't know if he will repeat last season. There's a chance he could be better. I don't think we're going to see the 20 MVP Cody Bellinger again, but he's a guy that's lefty, has power, plays good defense. I mean, there's a lot that he brings to the table. So I still think it'll get done, but I think Scott's waiting for some, Scott and Cody are waiting for some mystery team to pop in. But at some point, everybody's going to have decisions to make and it's the off season's getting shorter and shorter. So I'm going to take a short break, and when I come back, I'm going to talk about what this team is. We'll talk about some of the free agents left on the market and where the Cubs, I think, need to go. But as we get closer and closer to spring training games, I think we have a clearer and clearer idea of what this team is. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. So what is this Cubs team? As it stands right now, the Cubs have made some moves over last year. So all those guys that they started the season with are gone. They picked up Shota Imanaga. They added Hector Neris for the bullpen. And they made a trade with the Dodgers giving up uh, Jackson Ferris and uh, Zaire Hope for Gensi Almonte in the bullpen and Michael Bush, presumably to play first base. One thing we heard from Craig Council this week is that he wants Christopher Morrell to focus this spring on playing third. And that's what I've wanted all along. I've said on here many times, not that I don't like Matt Chapman as a player, but I think the best possible outcome for this Cubs team is that Christopher Morrell can play a passable third base. It doesn't have to be great. If he can be great, awesome. He's a really good athlete, got a strong arm. But there are some issues with his uh, throwing motion. He's got a really long throwing motion, not typical for infielders. It tends to throws tend to get away from him. We'll we'll see how it goes. He's not been a great defender anywhere. He's a good enough athlete that he can play a lot of positions. He can fill in, so he could become sort of that super sub, bounce around, give guys days off, and play DH. But if he's playing third base. That gives the Cubs a lot more options. You know, they could they could go sign a guy like Brandon Belt or J.D. Martinez to come in and, and basically just DH or match up against the right kind of pitching. It could give Alexander Canario a shot to just come up and, and hit and see what his bat can do. If the Cubs get Cody Bellinger, it gives them a chance to, let's say, you know, if PCA is good, then maybe PCA is playing center field, Bellinger is playing first, and then Michael Bush can DH. 
you know, it just gives them so much flexibility if Christopher Morrell can take up third base. Now that also raises issue, you know, I've never thought the roster as constructed makes a lot of sense to have Patrick Wisdom and Nick Madrigal kind of stuck in that third base role. I like the Madrigal pickup when it happened. At that point, the Cubs didn't have Dansby Swanson. So you knew Nico Horner could play shortstop. And the idea of Horner playing short and Madrigal playing second base seemed fairly promising. You know, Madrigal, when he from his time in on the south side, looked like a guy that could hit 320, 330. If you can do that, even if it's without pop, you know, he's not gonna be the most valuable player in baseball. But a guy that can hit like that definitely has value. So you could have Madrigal be I I think the Cubs are always, you know, I like Miles Mastroboni. I've said that a thousand times on the show, but if it's not Miles Mastroboni, you're still going to have somebody like him on the roster, whether it's him or it's Luis Vasquez. You know, you need somebody else who can play shortstop. I know you've got Nico and Dansby, so you sort of have your backup shortstop built in. But, you know, like when Dansby was hurt, then Nico slides over. You still need somebody else who can be that kind of utility player, play four, five, six positions in a pinch. That could be, they could go the Luis Vasquez direction. They could stay with Miles Mastermind. Personally, I, th- I think they'll stay with Miles. I think he really showed he was starting to hit at the end of last year. We'll, we'll see how he does this spring. Patrick Wisdom, maybe he becomes the backup at first base. But again, like, I still can't quite figure out how this roster pieces together because they're still missing pieces. And that's why I still think things are going to happen. I still think the Cubs are going to spend more money. I do think the Cubs will get Bellinger. I could also see them adding J.D. Martinez. I could also see them making trades. There's been a lot of trade talk. You know, Cubs con, Carter said they've been out talking with all 29 teams. I believe it. Trades are hard, though. I would I would be fascinated to know from all trade discussions what percentage of them wind up being becoming actual trades. I think that percentage would be pretty low. Because you talk about, what do you want to give up? Even if you're not focused on, like, I think the Dodgers trade... Hopefully it winds up being a win-win for both teams. You know, the Dodgers get something of value for a top 100 prospect that's been blocked. The Cubs get a guy who's ready to play now and basically time-shifting product prospect status by giving up guys who are still probably two to five years down the road for a guy who can hopefully play now and a, and a bullpen arm. But there have been a lot of... A lot of teams involved that seem to make sense. You know, the Florida, the Miami Marlins have very little in the way of position player prospects of significant value, but they have a ton of pitching. And the Cubs have a lot of position player prospects they could deal for. You know, a young cost controlled starter that is probably not going to sign a free agent contract with Miami or a contract extension with Miami. There also continue to be rumblings with the Guardians. Now, I think the at this point, I'm not sure a Guardians trade is going to happen, but there were a lot of talks about Josh Naylor, uh, Shane Bieber, Emmanuel Classe. Um, I'll continue to say maybe Classe gets dealt at the deadline, but I don't think there's really no compelling reason for Cleveland to trade him. I know they're looking for salary relief, and, and that's where the Bieber trade would make sense, and and maybe a Josh Naylor, you know, to some extent too. <coughs> Excuse me. But... Class A is so cheap. He's under control for, I think, five more years at like $4 million a year. And he's a pretty high-level reliever. Honestly, unless they think he's broken, I don't I don't really know why they would feel compelled to trade him. So we've seen reports out there that like Cleveland's looking for an overplay, overpay because of course they are. Like They're not in a position 
You know, if, if you're going to fleece somebody in a deal, they're either, they either don't understand what they have or you're catching them at a point of desperation. And you've got, you know, maybe you have a guy that certainly in his walk year, not likely to stay, you know, go get some value for that player while you can. But someone class A's position, why? I mean, if you get great value, awesome. Make the deal. Go. But, you know, I, I'm not sure I see that happening. But for this Cubs team, the holes are still the holes. I mean, I, I do think the bullpen now has been largely addressed. I could still maybe see them bringing in like a Ryan Stanek, who's still unsigned. Maybe making a deal for another reliever. But I think the bullpen as they have it now, they may not have a lot of elite guys, but Hector Neris is really good. Edward Azale really stepped up and had a good year last year. Julian Merriweather really showed some stuff last year. I think they have a lot of guys, and they also have a lot of depth. They're going to have guys that can't make this roster because of an eight-man bullpen pitching in Iowa that are available the first time somebody gets hurt. The first you know episode or two ago, I went through all the guys with and without option years. That's going to play into it, too. Like you may see Jose Quas start the season in Iowa just because he has an option. But so I, I think the bullpen has every reason to be, I think we have every reason to be optimistic about the bullpen. I think the starting rotation is going to be good. Will Justin Steele be, you know, a Cy Young potential favorite in the middle of September again? I don't know, but he's now shown for a full season and a half that he can be a really good starting pitcher. So I'm optimistic that he's going to continue to pitch well. Um, is he technically an ace? Is he technically a two? I don't know. He's a good pitcher. I think Jameson Tyone is going to rebound pretty significantly this year. I'm really optimistic about him. I like Shota Imanaga. We'll see how he transitions. He will have to make some adjustments from the schedule that they play in Japan. It's a shorter season. Pitchers typically pitch every sixth day. Um, you know, he's he's a mature guy. got good arm strength. So they'll be able to ramp him up, and he should be able to throw a good number of innings this year, assuming he stays healthy. Um, I think his stuff will play pretty well, but we'll see how they have to kind of space him out. And, and uh, I, I don't think they'll skip a start with him like they might some rookie, but I think there may be some times where they, you know, take advantage of days off and maybe flip him an extra day here and there. But um, I'm pretty optimistic about that. I think Kyle Hendricks showed last year, hopefully he's back. I mean, if that shoulder is healthy, that's the Kyle Hendricks we've come to know and love over all these years. He's not, He's not going to be as good as he was in 2016 again, but he's still a guy that can throw strikes, get low contact rates, you know, all those things and be effective. And at this point, the Cubs aren't asking him to be their number two. He needs to be their number four. And then when it comes to the number five starter, if the Cubs decide to go sign Jordan Montgomery and bring him in, cool. That could be great. But I also like the guys they have stacked up to compete for number five. I would say at this point, I would kind of say it's, Jordan Wicks' job to lose, maybe. But based on comments that Craig Council has made and the guys they have, Javier Assad's going to get a shot. Ben Brown's going to get a shot. Drew Smiley might get a shot. I, I think Smiley will spend most of the year in the bullpen and then be a swingman and a spot starter. But he'll probably get a shot. I think Hayden Wisniewski is going to get a shot. So that's a good number of guys to have compete for that job. And, you know, if one of them pops in spring training, gets the job if that guy struggles you know maybe that guy gets sent back down to Iowa goes to the bullpen and somebody else comes up and takes that spot with the development the Cubs have in pitching right now I'm pretty optimistic about their ability to find a fifth starter and I think by you know May 
May, June, as long as he's healthy, Kate Horton probably comes into play. So I'm pretty optimistic there. So that, that's a place where the Cubs could make a move. Jordan Montgomery would definitely make them better. I've heard talk about the Cubs maybe having interest in Michael Lorenzen. He's another guy. He had a really great start to the season last year. He's a good pitcher. And again, like the Cubs are not now Jordan Montgomery would be a higher level starting pitcher. And as would Blake Snell, although Blake Snell has his own issues. He he does not typically go deep in games. He's not innings eater and he walks a bunch of guys. So there are some concerns with Blake Snell. And I think that's why you see him still available. I don't necessarily know why Jordan Montgomery is still available, but um, Blake Snell reportedly um, he's looking for something like nine years north of $250 million. And the one report out there was that the Yankees offered six, six years for $150 million. So good AAV at $30 million a year, but not the years that they're looking for. And I think it's just hard to put that much money on a guy that is only typically going to throw you five innings, occasionally six. Even though he's he's got two Cy Youngs, he's obviously a very good pitcher, um, and that's where this valuation comes into play. I mean, I think <clears throat> I think right now things are tough. I think you know in the eighties there was collusion. It was flat out blatant. It was proven. There was plenty of stupid evidence of notes and memos and things. I don't think there's collusion in that sense today, but I do think a lot of baseball is working off very similar valuation models and very similar analytical models that say this type of player is worth X, Y, Z. And so, and again, like, like I said, the, the stars are always going to get paid. Everybody knows how good Shohei Otani is, even if he's not pitching this year, even if he never pitches again, he's an elite left-handed power hitter. And so those guys are always going to get paid. The, you know, shorter term, lower cost guys that bring consistent value, they're going to find jobs. I got into one argument on Twitter and I shouldn't get into these sorts of things, but somebody had said that Cody Bellinger probably wasn't going to be a Cub because if it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. But by that logic, those five Boris clients, I guess, are going to retire because if they were going to sign, they'd have signed by now. All those guys are going to find jobs. I suppose if, if one of them hangs on principle, but the problem, and, and this is where some of the, Tom Ricketts disconnect from the fans come in just to kind of bring this thing back full circle. Tom Ricketts is looking at this as a business venture that, you know, he's going to be the owner for however long until they decide to sell the team. That could be another 20 years. Um, he'll be around, he'll have budgets to approve. He'll see players come and go and all, all those things. And fans look at it as I want a championship this year. I want a championship next year. I want a championship the year after that. And from the player's perspective, they want to compete. They want to get paid. Like these guys, it's a special place to be. I think I grew up wanting to play baseball. I was not anywhere near good enough and, and knew that from a young age. But, you know, so many of us would love to play. Money makes things messy. Sometimes fans get a little resentful of the money or a player's being greedy for not signing or an owner's being stingy for not offering the contract. But like anything else, you know, you can go into buy a car, you negotiate on a house, like everybody has their price and you negotiate to the point where either a deal is going to happen or it's not. And at some point, Cody Bellinger is going to sign. Blake Snell is going to sign. Jordan Montgomery is going to sign. There are some guys who may not sign, you know, Urias from the Dodgers. He's probably not going to sign. He's facing some pretty significant accusations. 
Mike Clevenger's a guy who's unsigned. He's had some rumors and accusations in the past. Baseball's done an investigation. He is sort of clear, but he he comes with some baggage, and I don't know. You know, Trevor Bauer is a guy who's pretty active on social media right now, kind of really trying to find a job, and I get it from his perspective, but he is also a guy that comes with a ton of baggage. Um, whatever you think of the accusations, I see a lot of reports that he's been completely exonerated of the you know abusive things he's been accused of. That's not really true. Um, one case blew up when the accuser made some posts saying that she basically baited Trevor Bauer into doing it. So maybe that one's dead, but he was <clears throat> accused by four different women and Major League Baseball seemed to find some credibility in all of the accusations and I've not seen any anywhere that the other three have been rescinded, been rescinded or undercut. But even if you set that aside, you know, he had problems in Cleveland. He had problems in Cincinnati. He had problems in LA with teammates. He had problems with Garrett Cole going back to UCLA. And, and he's a guy that brings a certain toxicity to a locker room. And again, even if you ignore that, whether you, he will come with a PR problem the day you sign him, the owner, the GM, teammates are going to get questions about things that Trevor Bauer has been accused of in his past. We'll see. I, I do think he'll catch on at some point. At some point, somebody's going to want a starting pitcher that they can get for league minimum. I don't think. I think we've seen the best of Trevor Bauer in the past. I don't think he's that guy anymore. But I do think he probably can be an effective major league starting pitcher and get outs. And at some point, somebody's going to bite on that. But I think it's going to be a while. I think it may take a significant injury or two. I think it may take even into the season. So we'll see what happens there. So there are some guys that won't sign, but for the most part, baseball needs talent. Baseball needs guys to fill roster spots. <coughs> and guys are going to sign. So what will the Cubs do next? Your guess is as good as mine, but I'll be tuned in Friday to watch and, and see what this Cubs team looks like. I'm, I'm still optimistic about the season. I want to get in and do content on grading the off season and mapping out what I think the Cubs are going to be in 2024, but I just can't do that yet. I, I don't think the roster is complete. I don't think, I don't think they're done. I don't think they've spent everything they're going to spend, but with every day that we check off the calendar and every day we get closer to opening day, it becomes a little bit more likely that maybe this is the team they're going to open the season with. But even at that, there are a bunch of questions. You know, who's going to take that fifth spot? Who's going to play center field? Who's going to play first base? There are a bunch of really interesting relievers brought in on, you know, minor league contracts with spring training invites. The Cubs just signed David Peralta the other day and Dom Smith to minor league contracts. So they're going to come in and get a chance to compete for a job like Mike Talkman did last year. Both of those guys have been successful in the past. They both had, you know, Peralta was hurt a good chunk of last year, but they, they both had some success last year. And, and I don't think they're guys certainly that fans are going to be as excited about as uh, Cody Bellinger or JD Martinez or Matt Chapman or Jordan Montgomery. But there's a lot to like with some of these guys and it just gives the Cubs more options. And that's, I think at this point, I have no idea what this roster is going to look like. I, I may not make my season prediction preview until spring training's over. And I see what they're actually going to start the season with, but I still think, as currently constituted, I think this is a, a winning ball club. I think it's a team that can win you know, 84, 85 games, probably a team that adds at the trade deadline. 
are they the favorite for the division at this point? But they certainly a favorite. I think the right now I see the Reds and the Cardinals and the Cubs as being pretty close. I think it's going to be a very competitive division. I think the Brewers are fading a little bit, but they do have some young talent that's pretty intriguing. Pirates are young. I don't think they're deep enough, but I could see the entire division being between like 75 and 88 wins. And the team that maybe stays the healthiest or makes the right midseason addition is the one that's going to kind of go over the top. I kind of see the Cubs and Cardinals as co-favorites. The Reds not very far behind at all. I could absolutely see the, a scenario where the Reds win the division. But again, like the Cubs still need more. They, if all of a sudden the Cubs add Cody Bellinger and J.D. Martinez to this team, perspective changes. That Then the offense ticks up. They have a lot more flexibility if some of the kids don't hit. I think the, the we talk about raising the floor all the time, but I think at that point the floor raises pretty significantly. I think they probably each add a couple of wins, and the Cubs go from like a mid-80s win team to like 90 win team. And at that point they probably are the favorite to win the division. But we'll see. More things still have to happen. So tune in Friday. Baseball is almost here. But look around. You know, I've got a kid going through middle school baseball tryouts. Our high school seasons are starting up. If you drive by parks, you know, depending on where you live, as long as you're out of the snow. And I know in the Midwest, they're getting some really warm weather this week. You know, go go drive by some fields. You'll see kids playing. You'll see people out throwing the ball around. Baseball is almost here. I can taste it. I'm excited. Tune in Friday and let's uh, get the spring training rolling. Thank you for joining me today. If you like this episode, please drop a rating and a review wherever it is you get your podcasts and share the episode with a friend. Just a few seconds from you gives me great feedback and helps other Cub fans find the show. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, and YouTube, all at CubsPS Plus. And check out the Patreon page, patreon.com slash CubsPS Plus, to help support the show. As always, the theme music for this podcast is Prospect Park West by Jerry McCoy. This is Mike Waller, host of Cubs PS Plus. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs! <laughs>